Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's April 13th, 2018. You're listening to the best poker cast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. Can I say on the planet when we're... Yeah, I guess it's still the planet. It's just I hope we're land. still the planet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to be on land well, you're probably when you're listening to this. Although you might be. I'm going to post it right before we leave. So, yeah. We're, we're leaving. Scott and I are going. We're heading yes. out. That's right. We've got a very long Andy Poker Cruise next week. Actually, not the longest one we've done. 13 hours no. before. But this is nine nights. And uh, this is as long as we've been on a cruise ship together. We can say that, right? No, we went to Barcelona together. Oh, that's right. You did the transatlantic with me. I keep forgetting. All right. All right. Well, this is the longest we've been on a cruise except for that one. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, but no, no, very excited. We got a nine night uh, Annie of cruise next week. This is the one I've been looking forward to for a while. We're hitting some really, really good port stops and uh, ended up with a pretty good group of players too. So yes, yes. excited about that. So um, we will be, uh, we're obviously posting this early because uh, we're going on the ship and then we will be on sea for nine days. So uh, just giving you guys the over uh, the, uh, the advance notice that uh, you don't need to panic next week when there's not a show. Um, because we can't post one until we get off the ship, and then it will be, of course, that that crappy thirty minute one that we do um, with uh, poker tables in the background. <laughs> but uh, Chris will get that posted Monday, so uh, no panicking on the Any of Fans page. Uh, we're not dead. Well, I guess we can't say that we might be dead, but if uh, we're hopefully not dead, and we'll be posting it on Monday, and then we'll be back with our next normal show the following Thursday. So just be patient, enjoy this show, listen to it three or four times because maybe it'll be a good one. If I'm motivated, I'll post it Sunday. Oh, okay. See how I feel Sunday. Wow. Get off the ship, deal with customs, drive home, and post. That's dedication. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have to deal with customs. We'll just walk yeah, totally. the ship. Right. But, uh, yeah, so don't worry about us. We're all right. We're fine. We're having. We're living it up in the ABC Islands. <laughs> and we'll be back, uh, I don't know, 22nd, 23rd, something like that. We'll have to show up for you. 22nd. So. I hope. Yeah. I got a dentist appointment on 23rd. No, so. I mean, we'll have to show up for you 22nd or 23rd. Oh, okay. It just depends. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see you guys when we get back. But uh, before we leave, uh, I just got back, actually. <laughs> Hello, I must be going. <laughs> and I had the uh, the pleasure this time, Chris, on this trip of killing two flights. Nice. I was like uh, taking the red eye from Thunder Valley uh, after the great uh, grand opening there, which I talked about in last week's show. And I was uh, flying to New York uh, to see my friend and then do some other travels. And uh, they canceled my flight. <laughs> And I'm like, that's not good. I've got uh, very, very expensive concert tickets. Not rush expensive, but they were pretty <laughs> expensive. And uh, like, uh, so I was able to reschedule and get to New York in time for that. That was great. And then uh, Sunday night, I'm flying home from Albany. Uh, I got to meet the Incredible Hulk, by the way. He was just hanging out there in the uh, uh, the airport. You know, Luke and of course, Bruno. you bothered him, right? You couldn't just let him live in peace. And nope, nope, definitely not. 
But I did ask, I said Mr. Frigno. I was very polite. Oh, because that makes up for everything. I mean, he was chomping on an energy bar, too. So he had to, like, you know, choke that down and then smile for the fan. Well, he actually didn't smile, but I smiled for the camera. It's like the worst thing ever, too, is to go to a celebrity when they have their mouth full of food and say, hey, (laughs) Mr. Frigno. Hey, if you don't want your photo taken, don't become a celebrity, right? That's just the way it is. Or at least don't fly out of Albany International Airport where everybody's been noticed you, right? He's probably like, hey, I'm actually probably more famous than you are now, so this is actually, you know, an honor for you to take this photo with me. <laughs> Would you please smile for the camera? No? All right, well, just don't rip my head off. Oh, I like you when you're angry, so. <laughs> well, he was eating a Snickers, so I thought that was going to make him not angry, right? Oh, I thought it was an energy bar. It was a Snickers? No, I just changed it for the joke because oh, of the, so now because he was hangry. Yeah, it's exactly. exactly. Oh, we're not even getting paid from them. Don't bring them up during the show. We're not getting a dime from them. <laughs> what the hell? But anyhow, I'm glad I met uh, Mr. Lou Ferrigno, very nice guy, because three hours later, my flight was canceled and had an unexpected night in Albany, New York, um, at the uh, Hilton Garden Inn Airport. But anyhow, so that's the first time I've actually killed two flights in one trip. It's crazy. Getting good at that. All right, but anyhow, the reason we're bringing it up because I actually did uh, visit some uh, new poker rooms up there. And I was very excited to see both of these. Um, First one is Resorts World Catskills. uh, Just opened in February or March, I believe. So real, uh, not too long ago. And actually, they haven't even had their grand, uh, official grand opening yet. That's going to be next month in May. Um... But uh, David Yuri is running the room there. He, he came from Sands, Bethlehem, and a uh, super nice guy. Uh, we met him before when he was at Sands. Um, and he's very excited about the potential there. And uh, I got to say, I agree with him. So, first of all, this uh, resort's um, um, massive. They got a big, huge hotel tower now. They're getting ready to add two more hotels as, as well later on, uh, one with a big water park. Holy cow. Which would not have been fun uh, last week when it was. <laughs> it would have been an ice rink. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but everything on, inside is gorgeous. Uh, they took me on a tour of the whole whole um, whole property, and uh, so the poker room is on the upper floor. Uh, so you lose a little of that walk by traffic, but it's a uh, non smoking. Well, actually, the whole casino is non smoking because it's New York, which is awesome. Uh, but it's uh, you know it's 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 you don't have the sounds and the dinging of the slot machines and all that. It's in this private room, uh, just up a quick escalator. Um, I believe there's 19 tables in there now, and uh, D- Dave is a big fan of making it spaced out, so he doesn't cram tables in. He's like he's got room for more tables there, but told his bosses he didn't want to make uh, players be too um, cramped in there. So it's a very nice space to play in. Um, and then um, uh, they have the, the newest Bravo software now, and he believes he might be the first room to have it. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sure there's a lot of things behind the scenes. Uh, the players don't uh, appreciate, but uh, will make their experience better. Uh, but one of the cool things is that the uh, the tournament clock is displayed on all the tables now. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. And it can be flipped. So it could be facing the dealer or it could be facing, facing the players. So I would imagine it's always going to be facing the players, right? Because that makes more sense. Yeah. You know, dealer would be able to figure it out. But uh, So no, no more craning your neck around trying to find out what the blinds are. Or having the people argue, hey, can you turn on the Yankees game? <laughs> and then they turn the clock off, have to move the clock somewhere else. And I'm like, hey, I was watching the Masters. And they have to take that off and then move the clock around. So now it's just always on the table there. So that's pretty cool, oh, I cool. think. Um, super comfy chairs, too. We had a lot of discussion about this because, uh, you know, I just came from Thunder Valley, the grand opening. And uh, Ben Irwin there spent a lot of time uh, deciding on chairs for the new one there. And, you know, any good poker room manager will tell you that the most important uh, equipment in the poker room is the chair. And I tend to agree, right? Because 
um, that's the thing that's going to keep you at the table the most, right? If you got a really comfy chair, you're going to feel like playing more. If you got a really uncomfortable chair, you're going to get up. You can you can deal with all the other distractions and that, but uh, but uh, if your tush is not cushy, you're going to leave, right? So, and these chairs are not are not cheap. They're like three hundred bucks each. Uh, but uh, that's what you have to do to, to to keep poker players happy. So um, they uh, spared no expense there, and it's very nice. But the most exciting thing about Resorts World is literally right down the hall from where they are is their the top floor of their um, event center. And it's actually I like to call them suites. Actually, I think the tour guide actually called them suites. So if they have big concerts in there, it's actually a suite area, but there's no furniture there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with, like you know, removable walls and stuff, and there's room for thirty poker tables right there um in a really nice area and uh he's going to um he's thinking about putting up a loser's lounge area for people to be uh to relax in after they get knocked out um i don't, I don't want to spoil all the cool stuff he was going to do until he actually does it but um uh, really 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 thinking of player comfort up there um so he's going to be able to do some real good tournaments up there outside of that and then still have plenty of tables for his cash games there and then of course this overlooks the massive um event center uh that has ceilings high enough for an NBA game. That was one of the little tidbits they gave you on the tour. Oh, kind of wow. cool. Can you imagine that? An NBA game being played in the Catskills? Be pretty That's cool. crazy. Uh, but that room has room for probably 100 tables down there. So, you know, the sky's the limit for this property. We'll just see how well it takes off. And it's only about uh, oh, about an hour and a half from New York City. Um, so uh, one of the closer rooms there. And then um, actually they have been they're starting to draw players from Connecticut as well, too, up there. So um, I think they're off and running up there. So... Best of, best of luck to Resorts World Catskills. And then from there, I uh, took another like a two-hour drive up north to Rivers Casino. Oh, my gosh. Schenectady. Are you kidding me? Schenectady. I know. But, you know, here's the thing is Schenectady. All right. I got to say it three times. Schenectady. Schenectady. Like, I know. But I saw my friends that live up there. They're like, where are you going? I'm like, going to Resorts World Catskills. And I'm going to Rivers Casino. And they're like. Connectedy. It's like that hard. I'm like, it is. There's all look at all those syllables. And none of them seem to go together. <laughs> oh man. You can tell you're uh, from Ohio and not Connecticut <laughs> or New England or Tri State area. Yeah, yeah, easy words in Ohio. Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland. Yeah, Cincinnati. Uh, Connectedy. <laughs> uh, all right, but anyhow, um uh went up there, very excited to see this too. This uh, casino is relatively new as well too. Uh, part of the thing in New York is that when, when the legislature, when they approved casinos, is they wanted to start in the the upstate areas and really get a boost to those economy before it came back down to New York City, which didn't need any help, right? So right. Uh, that's why you have uh, the Catskills and Rivers and uh, Del Lago up near Syracuse, I believe. Um, but a gorgeous property um, owned by, obviously, the same people that own the, the gorgeous property, Rivers, in um, uh, Pittsburgh. And also uh, it's the same company that owns Poker Night in America. Uh, but they got a really nice setup there as well, too. A uh, nice hotel, um, an event center. They're having cage wars when I was up there. I didn't get to stay to watch any of them. But, uh, <laughs> um, but so I, I, I walk in, and the poker room is packed on the Saturday afternoon. Now, that's not surprising because poker rooms are usually packed on Saturday, right? But yeah. uh, they were running a, a multi-flight tournament that day. You started with 100,000 units, Chris. Nice. It's a lot of ships. <laughs> Unless the blinds so are I, like, you know, five and ten. Yeah, I had to look at the structure, and you started with 100, 200 blinds, so that makes sense. Which, again, is one of these things that poker I, I, players need to learn. You know, we could give you a million ships and have the tournament be over in an hour by just changing the, the, the limits and how quickly they are. So yeah. don't get too excited about that. But uh, this tournament looked like it had a really good a lot of play. 
um, just packed them in. Um, and so I know they were very excited. David Grubb is the uh, manager up there. He, used to, he came up there from uh, Parks and um, also has a lot of potential up there to grow. And one of the cool things there is they have like a little uh, – they have a bar just uh, down the hallway from the poker room. And they were able to set up, I believe, 10 poker tables in the bar during the day. Uh, so they had more capacity for the tournament, and then they tore them down for the night, obviously, so the uh, drunks like me can come in and, and rock out. <laughs> cover band was coming in that night, right? Um, but uh, but I always like that because that shows a commitment to poker from a casino because, um, you know, there's too many casinos that, that we go to where the poker room, you know, needs space to expand just every once in a while to run a tournament. Yeah. And they're like, nope, sorry, we're not going to do anything. And um, uh, and they said even there they might even be thinking about taking some slot machines out to expand the room. And that's almost unheard of. Um, you know, Thunder Valley was able to do that permanently, but uh, not many others are because that's, you know, slot machines make a lot of money, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but also has that nice event center where they run tournaments in there as well, too. Um, so uh, I'm expecting that they're going to be able to do really good things there. Just growing the market up there. I mean, obviously, Albany market's a little bit different than the New York City market. Uh, but he, too, is also uh, seeing some uh, people driving in from Connecticut, which is kind of cool as well, too. So um, so anyhow, if you guys haven't met uh, – visited those two rooms, I uh, highly recommend both of them. I think they, they both get really good poker products, and they're both uh, we're going to hear a lot. Uh, more about in the future. Yeah, Rivers has that 100K guarantee at the end of May. That's their Capital Region Classic or something. So they're they've done right. that I think three times now. So they're you know the 100K guarantee. So they're putting up some really big you know big tournaments for that that area that they can expand into. So people are doing some big things up there, good things for us. So we're, we're excited about them. Yeah, and I think we'll be doing business with both of these pretty soon too. So stay tuned for uh, what that means for you guys. So. Awesome. All right, eight events at this year's World Series of Poker, including the $1 million big one. For the big drop, we'll use the Big Blind Ante, part of a trend in poker away from individual antes. The Big Blind Ante in which the Big Blind Antes for the whole table also will be used in the 4 p.m. and 10 p.m. daily tournaments during the WSOP, as well as in satellites and King's Lounge high roller events. So this means there's still blinds, though. Oh, yes. And then yes, there's yes. The, the Big Blind pays more. Right. So essentially, instead of everybody anteing every hand, uh, the big blind just puts out an ante equal to the big blind. Gotcha. So if if, uh, levels are 100, 200, uh, the big blind would put out actually 400. 200 would be the big blind. 200 would be the ante. And that way, um, you know, it's kind of controversial now. It's just been started. We talked about this at the Poker TDA Summit uh, about a year ago. And um, Aria was one of the uh, rooms that were experimenting with this. Um, and uh, so they were trying to expand it. And uh, Matt Savage, who is um, uh, founder of TDA, is a big fan of this as well, too. Um, Thunder Valley actually used it for the first time when I was out there for the Celebrity um, Bounty Tournament. And uh, so it's it's starting to get out there a lot. Um, World Series is obviously treading water or treading lightly to get in there. Um, they have 70 some events this year, normally using it for eight of them. Um, but, uh, I think the advantages are pretty good. Um, you know, obviously you got people that will argue one way or the other, but, um, if you think about it from a, a standpoint of, I always remember going back to that, uh, remember that, I think it's Jeffrey Lissandro, right back at uh, world series before they had a big, like half an hour thing where they're arguing over who didn't ante. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, he just threw one in just to shut him up because, you know, whatever it's a hundred, but, 
you know, maintain that he did. And of course we saw the cameras and we knew he did. Right. Um, so you avoid all that. You avoid the, you know, um, you know, people having, uh, of course it, it's not good marketing for us because now the dealers don't go anti up anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it avoids that where the dealer has to keep reminding you. I mean, that's always the other thing. Like, you know, it, anti please, anti C seven, eight anti. I'm like, come on guys, there's going to be an anti every hand. So, uh, anti is really, really, in my opinion, slow down the game tremendously. Um, and then you got to sweep them all in and make sure you have them all. And if you miss one, then you got to figure out who didn't. And there's always an argument over that. Um, so the biggest advantage, I think, um, to the big bland ante is uh, you get more hands per level. And for, again, for a player that plays a little more conservative type like me, that's a big thing. So um, I'm a big fan of the big bland ante, I think. Yeah. Is there a downfall to it at all? What's the downside? Well, yeah. So the argument some people have is, um, one, you, you're, if you're short stacked, it could be a problem uh, because now you, you're putting a lot of money in on one hand. Um, but, uh, Gavin Griffin actually wrote a pretty good column in, the the most recent issue of that other magazine, um, <laughs> uh, where he said, you know, essentially it, it all works out in the end, you know? Um, yeah. So you might get, you know, uh, redraw at 27 and you're the short stack and you get redrawn into, um, the big blind and now all of a sudden all your stacks in on one hand. Right. Yeah. Um, but you're also going to get, or you could get moved and not, um, you know, be just off the big blind and then get a bunch of free hands where you don't have to put any money in, right? right. So, you know, it, it it's like everything else. It works out in the end, I think. Um, one of the more controversial things, too, is that the ante is paid off first and you can only make what you you put in. So if you're you ante 800, you can only win 800 on that hand. If if you're short stacked and you can't, you don't have enough for your big blind, that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, rather than getting... 800 times the number of players because it's just the antis, right? Um, so you only get your money back on that. So uh, that's a little confusing to some people. But again, that makes sense too. That's the way it should be. But but again, we're, 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 those things I think are nitpicks when you get down to the end of the tournament. But for the most part, um, you're getting a lot more hands in. It's so much easier to, to follow the action. Um, and uh, I really hope that uh, players jump on board with this. A lot of have. You know, I don't want to make it sound like Nobody is. I mean, a lot of people really enjoy it, but it is, you know, anything that's new is always going to be controversial, right? It, it could be an odd situation in that we always say that there always has to be a big blind. And then if the person doesn't have enough to pay the antis and the entire table is getting slighted because this one person didn't put, you know, they all have the right to that. Let's say it's nine guys. I'll put in a hundred, 900 units, but the guy's down to his last four you know, or whatever. So now he can't put in his big blind and the antes. So it's just weird. The table gets slighted if that one person just has to be short stacked at that moment. Whereas everyone antes, every hand, they're guaranteed to get eighty to ninety percent of that ante in a pot because everyone can't be short stacked at once. True. I mean, that is a downside. But again, how often is that going to happen? Yeah. Versus the benefits of the yeah. big blind. Yeah. You know. Um. You know. Again, if you. I mean. Just take a, a conservative estimate. You're probably going to get four more hands an hour in at least with this, I would think. Right. That's a conservative estimate, I think. Yeah. Um, more. Um, so you know all that and what you do with those four hands multiplied by the hours over the tournament. Um, you know. Yeah, it's worth it. Right. I mean, every, everything has a, a downside, and that is one of the downsides. But uh, I think on balance, I think players once they really sit down and play and and realize it. Are, are really going to um, enjoy this. I mean, at least the happy players were. Yeah. You know, the curmudgeons that complain about everything are always <laughs> going to find a reason to complain about it. 
Hey, as you can attest to, uh, uh, after all the many nights that we've spent in hotel rooms together over the formative <laughs> years of Annie Up, I can't fall asleep really without like the TV on or or something like music playing or something. I just have to have that white noise in the background or something. I call it dark noise. So, dark noise. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. uh, it's because you're a curmudgeon and you complain about it. <laughs> I, I have to wait three hours for you to fall asleep so I can turn off King of the Hill. So I can actually. <laughs> the funny thing is, like, I'll you'll you'll be like just wait for me to fall asleep, and then you'll get hooked on the show that's actually on. <laughs> then you'll stay up for another four more, you know, episodes. Uh, but the other night, I was I always put I, I have like a DVR that sets to record like Mash and old shows that I like that I I've seen a million times, but I can just put them on in the background. And uh, Mash was on, and a, a large component of Mash was poker. Like they every like every third episode. Smaller component was the Korean War, but yeah, you're right. Go go with the poker. Yeah, but I mean that was the main <laughs> part. But if you take the war aside, every third episode had a poker game. Well, of course, that's all they had to do over there. Yeah, they? it was great. They were boring, right? Yeah. And uh, one of the episodes that just came on, right when I was falling asleep, was they were playing strip poker. <laughs> and I thought it was interesting that really we've been doing the show ten, uh, eleven, twelve. 13 years uh, 13 now? 13 years now, yes. Actually, and 13. we've really never talked about strip poker. I mean, not that we were ever going to entertain it or play it or whatever, but there has to be someone out there who has thought about playing it, who listens to our show or wants to know, like, how do you go about doing it? I mean, I've been thinking about the rules and, like, clothing values and everything, and... I mean, <laughs> Everyone knows the game, but has any of us ever really played? And would you ever dare call stud while playing strip? It has to be a draw version, right? You can't you can't bet that many times and <laughs> and stud and play strip poker. It has to be a draw game. So I started looking it up, and there's actually like there are like a bunch of articles. Even random like non poker sites or people just writing for, you know, you know, way of life kind of uh, websites and stuff. People have written like, "Hey, this is how you have to go about doing it," and like they say, "Don't ever like just you know surprise somebody when they show up at your house that hey we're playing strip poker tonight." I mean, everyone has to agree to it like <laughs> yeah. ahead of time. Um, and they have to limit the number of clothing articles that you can have on you because it's not fair. Like if you knew ahead of time you're playing, you can't all of a sudden come in in layers. You know what I mean? Um, and there's actual rules. I mean, there are rules to like does the shirt is the shirt worth two bets and like a sock worth one and and when's the game over? Like is the game over when one person is like in their skivvies or even completely naked? I mean. I've never really given it much thought, but we we've gone a long time without talking about it. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's like I don't know. Is it taboo to talk about this on the show? I don't know. Oh my gosh, so much, so much to say here. All right, first of all, I love <laughs> the fact that you Googled strip poker, so I can't wait for that conversation with Jeannie when your Facebook feed uh, is filled with strip poker ads now. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's going to be fun to begin with. And then two, uh, I was already, just by the way you wrote the, the show item, I was already to say this. And then you added to it by saying there's other people out there with rules and stuff. Uh, I, I, you guys are overthinking this. <laughs> okay. 
Well, you guys, uh, it's I, me. It's me. It's like one I love guy. that. I love the competitive juices in you, Chris. That uh, you, you play poker. It, it, it's never fun, right? It's always got to be win, win, win. Uh, and uh, I don't think I could be wrong, uh, but I don't think the object of strip poker is to uh, be competitive. I think it. it <laughs> It's the most recreational form of poker that you could have, I think, right? <laughs> I think you get together, you're having fun, and clothes are coming off, and that's it. It doesn't matter whose clothes are coming off or when they are, blah, blah, blah. But uh, but that's all right. You know, maybe there is a, a professional strip poker organization out there that does have, uh, like, TDA rules. <laughs> Keep your strip poker parties orderly, um, and that's great, but... Um, don't invite me to that strip poker that, party. That, that one does not sound fun. That website would be stda.com. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. I, I, I could just imagine, like, you know, half-naked people there, like, I'm calling to the floor. I want the floor to come over. <laughs> I mean, we still don't want to call it an arm. That was a G-string sure. bet. <laughs> a G-string bet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, seriously though, I mean, you know how you talk about you don't want to play in like a twenty-five cent, fifty-cent game because you can't concentrate. It's just not enough. This is like you would absolutely be the most focused player at the table <laughs> if we were playing this because you do not want to take your clothes off in front of anybody. So I'm just thinking. You know, you you want to be competitive about it because the last thing you want to do is be the only naked one at the table. I mean, there's a Friends episode with it, and they all gang up on Joey, so that's something else, too. They make the person who loses, but obviously they didn't have poker. They had to play strip Happy Days game. But still, in, in this instance, can you do that? Can you, like, the person who loses? That's the other thing, too. It's like the, the, sometimes the rules are the person who finishes last in the hand is the only person who loses clothing. Then there's other ones where you're actually betting and playing a whole thing, and there's a pot, and you're actually playing actual poker, and then so there's a ton of clothing in the middle, and then can you put the clothes on you? You know, do you, it's it's just something that I never really gave any thought to, and um, I I just wondered how we went this long without somebody saying, "Hey, you guys should do a show on that." It never happened. I, I would say because I never imagined uh, from the first time I met you that we would ever have a conversation about strip poker ever. <laughs> Show or not, but, uh, you know, hey, first time for everything. This is what happens when you have a television on in the background dealing with your subconscious while you're trying to fall asleep at night. (laughs) Well, I can't believe you didn't bring up the best strip poker episode ever. That was Three's Company. Oh, right. I remember that. Mr. Furley's place. Oh, man, that was the best. I'm always going to remember that. I'm like, hey, guys, next week. He's got this cowboy hat covered up his his little Furley's. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) Lana won, right? Lana walked away with all the clothes. Of course, yeah. That's the way it works on TV because oh, they all go there to see Lana, and then nope, we he literally had... just lost ninety five percent of our audience. <laughs> okay, any updates? Atlantis Casino Resort Spa in Reno, Nevada, will host an Annie Up Poker Tour Series August sixteenth to the twenty sixth. More details to come, but the winner of the main event will appear on the cover of Annie Up Magazine and get a seat into the two thousand nineteen Annie Up World Championship main event. More information can be found at antiopmagazine.com slash Atlantis. Also, Yigi, that's spelled Y-I-G-G-I-Y, is a new Antiop partner looking to eventually host a $2 million free roll in a Las Vegas casino. For now, they're looking for beta testers for their free-to-play online product, and those who are eligible 
by state law and who take part will be entered into nightly $100 free rolls and more. To sign up, visit yigi.com, Y-I-G-G-I-Y. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us a podcast at Annie Oh, we don't have a uh, spotlight this week. <laughs> Each week that somebody actually sends us something to spotlight, we spotlight it. But <laughs> No one sent us anything for the spotlight this week. Oh, uh, we were having a spotlight. But the good thing is we got like 10 days for people to send us spotlights before yes. the next they need one. That's so. why Scott left it on there. So he leaves it on the notes and then says none this week. But I don't see that until I read it. It's too late, but that's a good way to remind everyone. Yeah, start sending us some. You're the things. Ron Burgundy of the Ania podcast. <laughs> read whatever I put in front of you. That's right. It's what I'm here for. <laughs> All right. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game, and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been. Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo director of poker Elliot Schechter tell you how he would have ruled. This comes from Roberto Gabino. He says, we are in a multi-table tournament at a Florida card room. After the flop was placed, the dealer is pointing to the players to show whose turn it is. And as his arm moves from seat 9 to seat 1, his hand crosses the deck and somehow knocks two cards off the top. The floor decides to burn the next card with the following card, the turn. After this, the dealer decides to move the two exposed cards and, to everyone's surprise, there was a third card underneath the two originally exposed the floor then decides to pick up the turn and the exposed cards and reshuffle them into the deck and continue play with a completely new turn and new river uh, and, and I don't know what that says and new river and a player. I don't know what that means. <clears throat> Was this correct? Alright, Elliot says based on the information that the supervisor had each time a decision was necessary, the correct rulings were made. Uh... When what were supposed to be the second burn and the turn were exposed, he ruled that the third burn and river to be placed, just as for a premature turn card. A third card was found prior to the betting, and the supervisor then correctly decided to abandon play a, plan A and went with the fully reshuffled stub. The supervisor tried to remain fair and unobtrusive and appears to have handled it pretty well. The big question is why the dealer did not use their right arm to motion uh, to player nine on the left arm to move to player uh, motion to player one. This deal obviously has two arms. Otherwise, there never would have been a crossover that would have upset this stuff. <laughs> you know, that was the first thing I thought. I'm like, how does this happen? Well, I like that he mentions that he obviously has two arms and then says stub at the end. That's <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, that, uh, I'm surprised that this stuff doesn't happen more often. To be honest with you, because some people are just some people are like conscious about that deck in their hand they don't like moving it around in their hands you know and um well but again i mean even well i shouldn't say even beginning dealers we all have to begin somewhere but um but you know the stub is is pretty sacred right you keep that hand pretty tight on that one and i don't i don't i mean maybe i'll pay attention more now um you know on the cruise this week whether dealers are crossing their arms but i don't actually see dealers crossing their arms very often because you can point with that stub right so i think that's what elliot was getting at if You know, dealer one should have been pointed to by the stub and player nine by the non-stubbed hand. <laughs> and then there's no crossing. No crossing! <laughs> and then, then you know, the cards all flying all over the place like this. But uh, I'm going to guess, again, that this is probably a beginning dealer. And, uh, you know, we, we've we've heard stories like this, you know, beginning dealers that, you know, one mistake after another and just have a horrible day. <laughs> and, yeah. and hopefully uh, players... Um, uh, give them a break and let them come back the next day because we need more dealers. But uh, it certainly sounds like this is a, you know, a relatively new dealer that hasn't figured out how best to use his or her arms at the table. Yeah. Oh. 
Uh, we have a new O'Malley's move, and don't forget, we'll probably get back to that move in two weeks because we're on the cruise. So here comes O'Malley's move. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's Move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. This week we are seated in a $4-$8 Omaha 8 game. There are quite a few older gentlemen at the table with maybe one or two young guns. We would be considered one of the young guns. The blinds post, the under-the-gun calls, the plus-one calls, MPs one and two-fold, hijack calls, and we're on the cutoff with the ace of clubs, king of diamonds, five of spades, four of clubs. This is a pretty decent hand, and with so many people in the pot, I'd like to raise and see if we can get any ace-threes out of this. We make it two bets to go. No one at this table is in jeopardy of busting out on one hand. The button folds, blinds get out of the way. Under the gun calls, plus one folds, hijack calls, and we're going to a flop three-handed with $34 in the pot. The flop is the king of clubs, five of hearts, tray of clubs. This is a pretty decent flop, and with two rocks to act before us, we can assume they'll bet if they have a made hand and check if they don't. Both players check to us, and we make a $4 bet. Both players call. With $46 into the pot, the turn is the eight of spades. The under-the-gun quickly fires a bet of $8 into the pot, and the hijack insta-raises him to 16 So, the action's on us. Are we three-betting here? Is this a case where we're just calling to see a river? Or is there a case for folding? What's the move? It's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antiupmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Comes from Dean Ratcliffe down in Australia. Um, Adelaide, Australia, actually. Mm. You can pronounce Adelaide, but you can't pronounce Schenectady. I'm not actually sure I, I pronounce Adelaide right either, but <laughs> but fewer syllables and I I I guess I can't say fewer vowels, Maybe fewer so, consonants. Wheel, Wheel of Fortune nightmare here, Adelaide, but that's all right. Did you hear about the guy Wheel of Fortune who pronounced it flamingo instead of flamenco, and he lost seventy one hundred bucks? Ouch! Yes. See, this another reason I screwed. If you went on there, you'd misread something. Obviously, exactly. Yeah, you'd be screwed on Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> All right, so he says uh, this is his regular bar league tournament that he's playing in for a few months. It's a $25 buy-in, and the structure and standard plays about what you would expect for that level. Most of the players are regulars in this game. Uh, tonight, there are 30 runners, and the top four spots will be paid. There are 11 players left split over two tables. The final table will be set when nine players remain. My table is currently six-handed. The average stack is 82,000. Blinds are five and 10,000, and there are no antis at any point in this tournament. Not even a big blind ante. That's right. Um, all right. Uh, the end of the gun folds. The hijack calls. He's described as a weak player, far too loose and passive, even at this stage when the blinds are so re- high relative to stacks. He has about a hundred thousand to start the hand. Cutoff folds. The button calls. He's described as a tighter and slightly better player than the hijack, but like a lot of players in this game, plays too passive and doesn't adjust enough as the blinds get up to these levels. He has one hundred twenty-five thousand to start the hand. And we are in the small blind with Queen of Diamonds, Jack of Hearts, and our stack is 120 before we had posted the small blind. Uh, I'm just, I just, 
I just would just call. I'm not going to fold Queen Jack. I just have to be real careful, but I'm I'm not going to raise out of position. I don't know what these guys are going to do. And Queen Jack's a playable hand. It's just you better be careful with it. That's all. So I would probably call the big blind. Yeah, I like calling here too because at this at this point everybody's short stack to begin with, right? Um, including us. Um, we are at what twelve big blinds here, right? So usually that's um, a shove or fold uh, situation. So I could defend a fold here as well too. I, I can't defend a shove here. Her hands just not strong enough for that. Um, but what I like about these situations and calling, it's another five k. We already got two callers in. Um, it depends on what the, we think the big blind is going to do, but uh, if we get to see the flop for that 5K, if we get any piece of that flop, then we shove and because we don't have nothing else to do. So it takes the decisions out of us, right? And then we hope um, uh, that holds up and, and we win. But um, So, yeah, I could defend a, um, a fold here or a call, but I kind of like the call here. Um, and I'm going to guess, again, because this is – we don't know much about the play here, but um, – uh, because it's a bar league, I'm going to make some assumptions based on the bar leagues that we played in that these players don't realize the chip stack situation they're in either, right? So um, players are still too tight, even though they shouldn't be at this point. Um, you know, we already had um, two players that called here <laughs> that one of, one of them at least should have shoved here with their hand. Um, so their hands are all kind of weak. So I guess in that sense, I could probably defend a shove at that point. Um and pick up some dead blinds. Actually, the more I think about it, I'm sorry. I should have shoved here. I am going to shove. Yeah, I wasn't really really thinking about our stack size. I, I Could you tell me again how much we had? We have 120 before we started it, before we put the 5 in. So 115 left now. But okay. So 12 big blinds. Everybody else in this hand has 10 to 12 that's limped. So, you know. Uh, yeah, it might be a good place to shove because they all have similar size stacks as us. If, and if anything, less than us the ones who were in the hand, and there's only the big blind left, I might shove now. I, I, I was forgetting the, the blind sizes for the this Yeah. Well, and, and not just the blind sizes, but the fact that they, they have no, – no, none of the, our, our opponents already shoved either. So, yeah. I mean, they're not as confident with their hand because at this point, you know, any hand you want to get into, you need to be shoving at this point no matter what it is. So, if, if you're not comfortable enough to, to shove with this hand, yeah, I don't think you're going to be comfortable enough to call uh, somebody else's shove, right? Yeah. So – this is a chance for us to pick up uh, thirty thousand plus um, plus our small blind back, so thirty five thousand. That's a big, that's a pretty big hand right there. Yeah, another round the table too. And the other thing too is, from one of the comments you made, the hijack player isn't very good, so you, we don't think that person will be trapping. And the other guy was tight, so if he's just limping and he's tight, I mean, I guess he could be trapping, maybe. But why would he trap at this stage? You know, he would probably put in a razor shove. If he was a tight player and had a hand that would beat Queen Jack or that could call a, an all-in, so we're probably safe in that way. Though I don't think we're being trapped at all. So yeah, maybe I do shove. I just didn't realize what the blinds were. For some reason, I wasn't thinking of that. But yeah, 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 maybe I shove too. Um, and the other thing too is that only the top four pay too. So I mean, we need to chip up here. This is not something where we can continue to limp in to get to the money. I mean, we got we got to get seven players out of here before we get paid. Yeah. Um. So, you know, you got to make moves at some point here. I mean, if you can't, I mean, you're going to be, we're going to be like between five and ten big blinds until we get knocked out of here. So let's make a move now and pick up, pick up a lot of chips here. Yep. All right. Well, I'm shoving. Let's see what happens. Um, 
Our hero says, the big blind is a new player I hadn't seen before tonight, uh, but he's been on my table most of the night and seemed competent. I don't expect him to get out of line and raise without a legitimate hand if I fold or call. Uh, sometimes raising the spot, but the hijack and button players call too often. I'll probably be stuck playing a bloated pot out of position against multiple opponents. I should shove, but with 1.5 times the average stack and close to the final table, I don't want to risk it all. Feel my hand is too good to fold, and I don't expect a big blind to raise offense, so I call and the big blind checks. All right, so I guess that was our original idea, but uh, but I think if we really dig down like we just did, I think we realized that, that we should risk it all here. And I mean, I guess I guess if our feeling is that everybody's going to call, that's such a weird thing, right? To uh, ten big blinds to limp and then call. Yeah, then call. If that would make any sense. I mean, really, at that point, if you're going to call off your stack, you might as well be the one shoving and trying to pick things up, right? But, you know, but again, kind of a relatively new player, so hard to hard to predict. But but even that, I don't know. I think, yeah. I mean, unless they have an I mean, overpair, you're still not that far behind any two cards. The only Unless it's an overpair or somebody has something to be dominated, like ace-queen or ace-jack or, you know, something like that. I mean, other than that, I mean, really, even if somebody did call you, you're probably live. And, you know, there's still a chance to win even if they did. And like you said, we need some more chips. We can't survive being the average stack, basically, uh, and, and cash in the top four spots. We need to get some chips that have some comfort. So a shove gets you a third of your stack, you know, that's pretty good. Well, remember, two are also six-handed, so we need to open up our our, our hands as well, yeah, too, a little yeah. bit here. Um, and those blinds are going to be coming around a lot. Um, so we, we definitely need to be picking them up. Um, so I, I guess my point here is, is that if those players are the type that we think are going to call the show, then the, uh, the call that we make is not going to be helpful right now. Now we, they're probably going to call whatever we shove after that. I mean, hopefully it comes a queen. Um, but what if it's like King Jack something, you know, now we got a piece of it now. Now what do we do? Right. Yeah. Oh, but, uh, so yeah, we never, I would never entertain a raise here. I would entertain only a shove here, and I think that was the way to go. But uh, but that would be a boring hand, so let's see what happens. <laughs> All right, the flop is queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds, five of clubs, and we are first to act. Nice shove. Got to now, right? I yeah. mean, this is exactly what we were hoping for. Um, although it's kind of odd that we have the queen of diamonds in our hand, and the queen of diamonds is on the flop as well, too. Might want to call the floor. Was the Queen of Diamonds in our hand? Was that, yeah. yeah. I can't yeah. see if I wrote a C or a D there. It's dark in my room, so <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, not the Queen of Clubs. I mean, I mean, this is the best thing we can – oh, not the best thing we can hope for, but this is this is what we – at this point in the tournament, you need to get any piece of the flop and then go with it. And the fact that we have top pair here is is pretty good. Um, so, I mean, anything but a shove here is going to make me cry, I think, right? Yeah, let's give him the Queen of Clubs too. Otherwise, although a foul deck is probably a pretty good thing too for us because then we can get get out of this situation. Get well, our money back we win or lose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, says I probably have the best hand here with top pair, backdoor, flush, and straight draws. Uh, I went to bet for value and discourage draws, and also to thin the field. A bet into three opponents would represent strength. I would expect any of the opponents to come over the top without a big hand. They're going to be as reluctant as I am to risk their whole stack this close to the final table. I bet twenty k. Ouch! No, don't do that. I yeah, he's I mean, a backdoor flush draw. Maybe he has the jack of diamonds and the queen of something. So that might make more yeah. sense. Yes. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I I can't just bet a little bit here. We we got to go in. You got to at least scare somebody or make them pay a price to draw against you. You know those diamonds are there. The Broadway's there. 
you can't just let them hit it for 20k. You know, there's a lot of money out there already. If everyone's called, you got four people in this pot, and then you're betting 20, they're getting the odds to call that. So you might as well just shove and put the pressure on them with top pair like that. And if you take it down, that's great. You take it down with uh, four big bets. So that's a good win right there. Be happy to take it down. The other interesting thing here is when he says uh, they're going to be reluctant to risk their whole stack this close to the final table. Uh, four people get paid here. <laughs> yeah. Final table is a nothing here, I think, unless unless you get like bonus ships for the next tournament for making the final table. <laughs> Other than that, you know, I, I think it's one of those mythical things that we get excited about, like birthdays. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just another day on the calendar, folks. I don't know why this day is all that, that special than that, but um, there, there should be nothing special about getting to the final table uh, if you don't get paid for it, right? So, I mean, now our only goal should be to cash, and that's the top four. So if people are playing this scared, then we need to be raising like every single hand with almost everything and just chipping up, right? Right. And especially now, now that we've got top pair here, we got to get it all in, and if they all fold, that's great. It's still a lot of chips. That's what we would have done beforehand, before the flop. Yeah. Yeah, I've got to All right, uh, the big blind and hijack fold, and the button thinks briefly before calling. He says, I can't recall him trapping previously, so I'm not putting him on a two-pair or a set here. At this stage, I'm thinking he has one pair, probably a queen or a draw. Uh, go to the turn. It's a four of clubs, so our board is queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds, five of clubs, four of clubs, and we are still first to act. Well, I mean, now we have to put the hammer down. Yeah, I mean, we, if somebody had king, queen, or ace, stuff. queen, right, they would have, especially since, you know, I think you said the button was tight. So the button's tight. I mean, I, I just, if you had a hand that was better than that, that's the type of hand a tight player would raise with, better than queen jack, I mean, to start. So, I just feel like if he's got to be drawn, you got to put the hammer down on this guy now. Right. Yeah, at this point, we got to get rid of it. I mean, it, it was a great card for us. The four could not have helped, so let's let's get rid of all our, our, our um, queasiness that we played through this hand and just be bold here. So. Yeah. All right, he says, uh, the card changes nothing, and I, I still think I'm good. I have a pot-sized bet left, but I'm not confident enough to shove here. I could see this player turn up with king-queen, played very passively here. I'm not prepared to check and give him a free card either. I bet 20k again. I, I bet any more than that. I really can't fold any action on the turn of the river. Even now, I put in 50k of my 120k uh, stack. I started the hand with, and I'm borderline pot committed. <laughs> you were way pot committed before that, sir. Uh, I'd love to end the hand here, but uh, but I probably haven't bet enough to accomplish that. Yep. Yeah, because if he's willing to call 20 before drawing, there's only more money in the pot now. Yeah, absolutely. So he's going to want to call 20 again. And that's exactly what happens. The villain again calls quickly. Yeah. To the river, and uh, the river is the ten of clubs. So our final board is queen of diamonds, ten of diamonds, five of clubs, four of clubs, ten of clubs, and we are first act once again. Well, I mean, unless he had a ten, or back, he could have backdoored into a club flush somehow. But unless he had a ten, you know, we're probably good because he's drawing. If he's not drawing and he had a 10, then you're in trouble. But I, you can't fold to any bet. But I'm not going to put my money in the middle now. I, I have to call if he bets, but I don't see betting getting a better hand to fold. So uh, I would just check and hope he checks behind and take your hand, to be honest with you. That way I still have some money. Because if I put it in there and I'm beat, I'm just wasting my money. 
if I don't put it in there and he bets, then I can't fold. But if I put it in there and I'm beat, you know what I mean? There, I just feel yeah. like you can go check, check and save some money if you're beat. He might have something like he might be scared by that 10 too, and you might have King Queen and he beats you in a showdown, but you still have some money. You put it in, he can't fold, you know, whatever. So you're not trying to get him off a of hand now because I don't think you're going to be able to. So putting money in the middle is really just so risky. I think the outcome two out of three times is your beat. So why not just check and then if you have to call, you call. Yeah, we've kind of passively played this played uh, played our way into a real difficult situation here now, right? Because I, I agree with you. I think at this point we should probably just check and hope it gets checked behind and hope we win the pot. But if we check and he bets, now what do we do? I mean, you know, at this point we've just we we've given away half our pot our our stack. Um, and we're going to be all in on the next hand that we pick, and we don't have a lot of chips, uh, not, not enough chips to scare anybody out, although maybe they passively as it is. Uh, we might be able to. Um, yeah, th- this hand would have been so much different had we shoved on any other um, spots, but um, the board just got scarier now. So. Yeah. Um, all right, our hero says, uh, not a great card, turning second pair into trips and completing a backdoor flush. I don't know what betting would accomplish here, and really my only bet is to shove as I have 60K left and there's 120K in the pot. I really want to get the showdown without putting any more chips in, so I check. The villain immediately moves all in, which has me covered. Back to us. I have to call. Here's the deal. Even if he's even if he's got us beat, I, I, he could easily have queen nine here. He got the same hand as us. Um, he could have missed a draw and said, no, here's my chance to try to get him to fold. If he had the ten or he had the flush, would he really shove when we were just willing to bet 20 the whole way? If we're sitting there only going 20, 20, check, he knows that we're kind of like eh, impish on what we're doing with this money. So... Wouldn't yeah. he now, in turn, bet like 20 to get you to call because you're willing to bet 20 earlier? Or does he really want to shove 60 into this middle when he knows you probably... I mean, he probably thinks you can't fold. But at the same time, he wants to get value for that third 10 if he gets there. He wants to get value if he got that backdoor flush. So why would he shove and try to scare you off, knowing that he's only going to get called by a better hand? Like if you filled up and we're hoping to trap him you know, or something like that. So I mean I don't think these are very, very thinking players at these this level, but I think I'm gonna call. I really feel like I don't have that much money. I know I was saying earlier, you know, at least I'll have some money if I go check check. But at this point, we have top pair. We improved to two pair with a jack kicker. You know, this guy could have two pair with a nine kicker. He got the same hand as us, or he can miss his his draw. And he's just shoving to try to force us out because he knows he can't win without it and probably doesn't want to play with 60,000 chips. So I think I'm going to call. I don't think I can lay it down now. I, I, I played it poorly the whole way, um, and that's my problem. But I think even just folding now, you're not going to win this tournament. You're not going to get in the final. You're going to have some serious, you know, some serious rallying to do with 60. I mean, I know if you were, it was your decision to be with 60K because you check check then hey you know what you're giving yourself a chance if you lost that hand here i think you have to call i think that this guy could have so many hands that you beat and there's so many reasons why he would have done that why while you're beating him so i'm gonna call i don't care i'm calling yeah him. i think you're right i'd rather uh win this hand um and double my stack uh than the fold here and leave all that money out there um and it's and at the same time risk being knocked out of this tournament because it's really going to be hard for me to get back in this tournament with six big blinds now i think so um 
But if we are wrong here, then this is just a reminder going forward that we need to be a lot more aggressive. In fact, I think that's probably what I told Dean when I wrote back. I'm like, if this is how this turn, these tournaments always go, he needs to learn to be super aggressive at the end here, and he'll really clean up in this, these tournaments, I think. Yeah, you be know? cognizant of your chip, your stack size in relation to them and your M and all that. And and really, I mean, that the right move probably was to shove preflop and take down those blinds and increase your stack by like 30% and then move yep. on. All right, our hero says, I consider it very unlikely he has a flush here. If he's gone runner-runner, then more power to you, sir, as Mike Sexton would say. I consider uh, whether he has a 10 and made trips, but I doubt even a loose player would have called both flop and turn with only second pair. I've already discounted two pair and sets on the flops. He doesn't have a full house. Based on my original flop rate of queen or flush draw, his instant shove doesn't make sense with the queen. He would check behind as he has so much showdown value and should at least consider for a moment that I may have backed into a big hand and trapping on the river. I call and hope to see a busted draw. The villain curses under his breath and turns over the king of diamonds, seven of diamonds, for a missed flush draw. Yeah, good. He says, when I listen to you guys break down hands on the show, a lot of your ideas make sense to me, but I struggle to put them into play in real time at the table. In the past, I've folded this hand rather than call off my remaining stack with only a bluff catcher. But for once, I actually thought it through properly and came to the right decision. The pot permelled me to chip leader when the final table started, but I was card dead from there and eventually finished third. Still cash, though. Nice. Money. And I tell you what, don't feel bad about that, Dean, about not being able to put it together in real time because very rarely when I'm playing, I don't play tournaments, but when I'm playing cash, very rarely am I just sitting there and doing all this this kind of you know analysis that we do on the show. You know, I, I'm sure oh, yeah, I mean, exactly. I, I'm usually playing with instinct and, and, and adrenaline at that point, and I'm like, okay, I, I can feel it. I can just feel what this person's telling me that this isn't right and whatever. But, you know, upon reflection, then I'll sit back and go, yeah, it made sense or it didn't make sense or here's where I made my mistake. So, um, but if you have the time and you pay people around you are patient, you know, sometimes it takes a, a second to step back before you make that first move into a pot and say to yourself, hey, I have Queen Jack here. I only have 10 big blinds. Those guys limped and they have as much as me or less than me. Why why not just shove here and take this down? I mean, I know you double through on this hand, but uh, like in Top Gun, we think we showed that it was a mistake the way you played it, even though it was a positive <laughs> outcome in the end. <laughs> Good analysis there, Charlie. I keep dating people, so dating myself. You dated yourself with Three's Company, so I figured I would balance the equation. The Top Gun's like on every day, so if you haven't seen it by now. <laughs> All right, I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm Scott Long. We'll see you in the table. Anti-Up is a production of antiupmagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network.